0: of Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul first of all says, "I therefore, whenever you see that word therefore, remember underline it, highlight it, bold it uh, because it is, uh, there, it is therefore a reason. Uh, It is a very important word. It's a a transitional word. Paul is linking everything he has said before in chapters 1 through 3 to what he is now exclaiming in chapter 4. Paul is teaching us how we should respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. We walk in a way that's worthy of Jesus' sacrifice. As this text says, by the way we treat one another and the attitudes that we display toward each other. Humility. Humility. We we no longer try to exalt ourselves above each other so, so that people will see us, so that people will see our own glory, but we live together to exalt the glory of Jesus Christ, how good He is not how good I am. That's an attitude that we corporately have in the body of Jesus Christ. What other attitude do we have? Gentleness. Gentleness. We aren't harsh or demanding toward one another, but we consider uh, the other person's condition. We consider the struggles and the weaknesses that one another has, and we respond with tenderness and gentleness. Another attitude is patient. We're patient with One another. And then along with that, it says, bearing with one another in love. What does that mean? That means that we make allowance for each other's faults because of our love for one another. That's what love does. It allows another person to fail and shows them grace and shows them forgiveness when they do so. So, What does Christian unity look like? What are we supposed to emulate in our life? Christian unity has to do with attitudes. It has to do with oneness and attitudes. We all have together the same attitude of humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance, as other translations render it toward each other. This is how we maintain the unity that we have in the body of Christ, as Paul says, and it's how we keep the bond of peace that Christ Jesus has created because of his blood. But why? Why are we to do that? Paul answers that question in the next portion of the Scripture in verse 4. Paul gives us another dose of truth to serve as the foundation of why we treat each other this way. In verse 4 it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. So what Paul is saying here is that we treat one another this way. We have attitudes, we have these attitudes toward one another, humility, patience, gentleness, tolerance. We have all of those things, those attitudes toward each other because of our oneness in Jesus Christ. We, have, we, we are one body, one body of believers. We possess one spirit. Each and every single one of us has the same spirit, which enlivens every single one of us. We have one hope, we as a body of believers, we don't have separate hopes and separate dreams of, uh, that, that have nothing to do with one another, that are, that are not connected to each other. We have the same hope. We have a hope of resurrection existence with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we are looking forward to when He comes and returns and raises us and gives us new spiritual bodies patterned after His own. We have the same hope. We have the same Lord, one Lord, the same faith, one faith, the same baptism that we all submitted to, the one baptism. We have one God and one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The same God as revealed through Jesus Christ resides in each and every single one of us. We are one in Him. Everything that you are, Every part of you now in your life in Jesus Christ, and everything you do, as we see revealed within this text, is permeated with oneness, togetherness. And that's why we treat each other with humility, with gentleness, with patience and tolerance. We've been joined together. That's what Paul is saying. We have been joined together and have all of these things in common. We've been joined together in a supernatural spiritual union by the one God of the universe who has adopted all of us together into His family. We are one in Him. And that's why we treat each other the way that we do. However, unity, and this is a point that Paul makes. He wants to get this across to us. Unity, the unity that we have, it doesn't mean uniformity. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. Uh, Unity doesn't mean that we are all now the same in every way. Paul doesn't want us to get that that idea at all. The good news of peace and the unity it creates, it shines most brightly when people who once had these walls of hostility in place in their hearts but are now one in Jesus Christ, when they use their diverse gifts that God has graced them with to bless one another and build one another up. Unity does not mean uniformity. God, even though we are joined together, even though we are one because of the good news of peace, there's a variety of differences among us that are all intended to build the church body until it grows into full maturity. Look look at what he says in verse 7. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of of Christ's gift. So, he says, each one of us has been given grace. Each one, each one of us individuals has been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, when Paul says grace here, he's not referring to saving grace. He's rather talking about different kinds of blessings that God has given to those in him to serve his church. He's uh, more specifically here referring to spiritual gifts of grace that he refers to elsewhere in the New Testament. And one of those instances is Romans chapter 12, verses 5 through 8. Romans chapter 12, verses 5 through 8, referring to these Gifts of grace, these diverse gifts of grace that he has given to individuals who have become one, united together in oneness. He says in verse 5 of Romans 12, So we, though many are one body, we are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service and serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul is saying that we are one people who have all of these one things in common, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. We are one people blessed, graced with a diversity of different gifts that God has showered upon us. Service, preaching, teaching God's Word, generosity, leadership, showing acts of mercy, and so, so many other things. What Paul wants us to see here, is that God's church is not bland and boring. Our unity is, it doesn't mean that we're just all the same. That's not what the, the idea that Paul wants us to see. Rather, what he wants us to see is that God's church is like a magnificent, beautiful painting. What do you see within a painting? There are different colors. There are different features within the painting. But all the different elements and colors and features, they blend together to make a unified masterpiece all together. God, in His infinite wisdom, He's created unity amidst a diversified group of people. That's God's church. We are one We are one in Jesus Christ, but we're not the same. We've been given different gifts. And all of those different gifts, when they are used in unison, make the glory, the oneness that we have in Jesus Christ shine brightly for the world to see. And then Paul teaches us, he tells us how these gifts these spiritual gifts of grace that we have been graced with by Jesus Christ, he tells us how they're mobilized, how we are sent out and how we're organized to use them in his kingdom. Look, Skip down with me in verse 11 of chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Now, all of these different positions uh, within the church that Paul alludes to apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, some of them here today, some of them some some of them not, but all 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 of their roles signify a particular theme. And that particular theme is a proclamation of the gospel. All of these church leaders, all of these all of these different people have the same uh, goal of proclaiming the good news, the gospel of peace to the church body. God has given us church leaders. He's saying who articulate the gospel story. To what do they do? What's the purpose of what's the purpose of communicating the gospel message and making it clear to God's people? It's to equip to equip each member of the church so that, the, so that they're motivated to use their diverse gifts toward one another so that the church body may be built up in love together. And if you notice, this is exactly what Paul has been doing the entire book up to this point. Uh, if, in, um, Paul in chapter 1 through 3, he's been expounding upon and celebrating the beauty of the gospel. That's that's his message in chapter 1 through 3. He's been talking about the beautiful good news of Jesus in order for you to respond to this story. He's equipping you in chapter 1 through 3 by telling you about Jesus and what Jesus has done. Paul is equipping you to use your gifts that God has graced you with. That tells us that the exposition and the articulation of this good news of Jesus is what equips us and motivates us and drives us to use our gifts of grace and work in his kingdom. But what I want you to notice, and I think the main point within this text... uh, What do we attain together when we're equipped through the gospel of Jesus Christ and we all together in unison use our gifts of grace? What is it that we attain in all of its fullness? Look with me in verse 13 of chapter 4. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice with me here that there exists a connection between our use of what God has graced us with, our spiritual gifts. There is a connection between our use of the gifts that God has given to us and our Christian unity. And the connection is this our gifts of grace, they serve to bring about unity in Jesus in the body. It's only when, it's only when we all together in unison use our diverse gifts do we embody what Jesus died to create, a new humanity, as he talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. A mature man a new man, a purely unified body of believers who become what Jesus died and rose to accomplish in us. That's when our unity is seen in all of its beauty, and all of its fullness, when not just a few people, not just a select group within the church, but when every single one, when each one of us uses what we have been graced with that to bless the church body and build it up, that's when unity shines in all of its fullness. And that unity that we have, Paul goes on to say, is designed to protect us. The unity that we have together is designed to shield us from the schemes of Satan. Look with me in verse 14. So that... We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So this unity that we have when it comes to full maturity, uh, our our diverse oneness in which we treat other with gentleness and patience, uh, and, and our willingness to participate together in the work of ministry, what does that do? What does unity do? Our unity, it keeps us from being carried away by false doctrine. It keeps us from being carried away by the schemes of Satan. Our unity and our knowledge of Jesus Christ, when those two things reach their culmination and the church um, comes together in that regard, our unity, it keeps us grounded and rooted in the truth. When I was a youth minister um, several years ago, there was, there was a young man uh, within our ministry that grew up in a non-Christian home who started coming to, uh, to, to our gatherings, and, and eventually he was baptized into Jesus, uh, but then he began to waver. He began to be tempted uh, by, um, by, by friends at school. He was tempted to leave the faith. But what we decided to do, we said, I I met with all of of our leaders within the youth group and said, hey, we need to rally around so-and-so. We need to be united with him. We need to practice gentleness and humility and patience and this kind of supernatural love toward him that Jesus has shown to us. And eventually, over time, when we made it our, our mission to be united with this person, he slowly began to come back and slowly started to grow. Uh, And and, and, and even to this day, he's a growing Christian and wanting to be the best that he can be. And that's what this unity that we have is designed to do. It's designed to protect us. It's designed to shield us from the schemes of Satan, from false doctrine um, that, uh, that those with faulty motives throw at us. So, our unity, it protects us and it produces, as Paul says in the last part of the passage, it produces a healthy, growing body of believers. In verse 15 and 16, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So let's get back to our question that we asked earlier. How do we respond to the good news of peace? The gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus' sacrifice. What are we aiming at? What are we aiming at when it comes to Christian unity? Four things I think we learn from this passage. We respond to the gospel story, to the story of Jesus Christ, by being united in our doctrine. That's what we're aiming for. We're aiming for unity in doctrine. Many people have the idea today that Christianity can just be a a hodgepodge of different beliefs. You have your faith, and I have my faith, and then everything can be fine amongst us. That's not the pattern of Jesus Christ that we see within Scripture. Unity, it loses its power in depth when we don't take Scripture seriously and unite ourselves, and when we don't unite ourselves together in one Lord, in one faith, in one baptism. Doctrine, having the fundamentals of the New Testament down and united together with those, is very important when it comes to Christian unity, and that's what we're aiming for. Now, that doesn't mean that unity requires us to agree on absolutely everything, and we're going to talk about that in a future lesson, but it does mean that we strive to be on the same page, all of us, concerning the fundamental doctrines of the New Testament. We are aiming for unity in doctrine. What else are we aiming for in regards to unity? We are aiming for unity in relationship. We respond to the good news of Jesus, to the gospel of peace, by growing in relationship with one another. Christian unity, it's not only doctrinal. Christian unity, as we see within the pattern of Paul in the first century church, Christian unity is also relational as well. Uh, if, if the only thing that unites us together are our doctrinal beliefs, if the only thing that unites us together is, uh, say, the essentiality of baptism or, or, other, or other doctrinal, doctrinal truths such as that, if that's the only way that we're unified, then we're woefully misunderstanding Christian unity. There's a relational side of Christian unity as well. We're striving to grow deeper in bonds with one another, like you see within the first century church. You see that within Paul and his relationships. Often look look in the latter part of his letters, see all the people that he lists and the, the affections that he shows for these people and for the church of God. Paul had deep relational unity with with people in the church. And that's something that all of us need to be striving for as well. We're aiming for unity in relationship. What else are we aiming for? We're aiming for unity in participation, as we see within Ephesians 4. And that's how we respond to the good news of Jesus. We respond to the gospel of peace by joint participation together in the work of God. And that's one of Paul's biggest points within the passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Um, it's that our joint participation in the cause of Jesus Christ, it serves to bring about Christian unity. Christian unity it, it only comes to its maturity and shines in all of its brightness and fullness when each one of us participates in the work of the kingdom. U- unity becomes shallow. Unity becomes virtually non-existent. When there's only a select, pe- select few people in the congregation doing the majority of the work, when most of the people sit idly by and do nothing. All of us are required to participate and use our spiritual gifts to bless the body, to build up the body. That's when unity, the unity that Jesus designed, comes to its fullest and comes to its culmination. We're aiming for unity in participation. And then lastly this morning, what are we aiming for? Aim for unity in attitude. We respond to this good news, this blessed gospel story by embracing the same kind of attitude, an attitude of humility toward one another. I'm not better than you. I live for the glory of Jesus Christ and you as well. An attitude of gentleness, of tenderness in our relation toward one another, of patience, of tolerance for people's weaknesses and their shortcomings toward one another. We're aiming, we're, we're, we're aiming to have the same attitude toward one another, an attitude that Jesus continually displays toward us. That is what we're aiming for when it comes to Christian unity. The blessed gospel of peace, the good news of Jesus Christ, it produces peace. It produces unity. It's a big deal. And we walk in a way that's worthy. We walk worthily. In Jesus' sacrifice, when we're united together in our doctrine, when we're united together in relationship, when we're united together in our joint participation, we're united together in our attitude. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're striving to, rec- to become. This is how we respond to the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ And it's how we embody the ideal of the new kind of humanity, our oneness in Jesus that Christ has come to create. This morning, if you have any need, uh, if there's anyone that has any prayer requests, we uh, offer this, extend this invitation to you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, Hear the blessed good news that he has come uh, to this world, that he has died for our sins, that he has risen on the third day. Believe in him. You can repent of your sins. Do a 180 in your life. Make a change. Make a commitment right now to say, I'm going to do things God's way. You can come forward today and confess your faith in him and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins if you have not yet. Um, If you have any need, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.